hell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, Black Man Smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome to the Advent Calendar House, the official holiday podcast for people who can't stop tripping over their own furniture. And that joke landed about as well as the star of today's special from 1963. It's the Dick Van Dyke Show's Christmas episode, The Alan Brady Show Presents. I am slowly and awkwardly zooming in on a singing child's face, Mike Westfall. And joining me is a fine musician and the even finer host of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's Tim Babb. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Fine musician. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think anyone has ever said that about me, much less that being my top build skill. I gave you the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Tim, you are a huge Dick Van Dyke fan. How did that start? So my mom really loved the show. And so she would show me reruns growing up. And I just I've, I just love it. I just love the banter. Uh, yeah, I just I mean, Dick Van Dyke himself is just a national treasure. And then just the interplay between all the characters like uh, just I remember one time Rob got amnesia. Yes. And he, he took the train. Like him and Laura got in a fight in that morning and he said, I'll be home when I'm home. And then later that day, he, he gets hit on the head. He has amnesia. He takes the train to a whole other city. And then they cut back to the house and Sally is talking with Laura. And she's like, well, what did, what did he say? What did he say about when he'd be home? And she goes, he said he'd be home when he got home. And then Sally goes, well, then he's not late. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> And then, so did you see this Christmas special as a child as well? Probably. I didn't remember it. Um, when I did an episode about my favorite Christmas episodes of podcasts. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite TV Christmas episodes, like in the early days of the podcast, my mom was like, oh, you should definitely watch this one. And back then it was on Netflix and I totally did, but I didn't include it for some reason. Whoops. Uh, so I'm glad to have the chance to talk about it now. There we go. Perfect. Uh, my Dick Van Dyke gateway drug had to have been Mary Poppins. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but my parents would watch this. I guess it was rerunning on Nick and Knight at the time or who knows? CBS could have been still running it for all I know. But I know that this is. This ended up on one of the oldest VHS tapes I remember having uh, because it didn't come in a cardboard sleeve. It was one of those hard plastic covers that closed. Oh, shut. yeah. And that in my house was the indicator that this was one of the oldest tapes on the shelves. I, I think I still have my Mary Poppins clamshell VHS sleeves. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's yeah. Disney came in. I'm talking about this one that my parents taped off the TV. It was like the first oh. dedicated. This is where the Christmas stuff we tape goes. Got it. VHS tape. Uh, and that that came in a hard case, like a black hard case. Oh, uh, serious business. Yeah. So that could be from like 1984 for all I know. But <laughs> Wait, I'm the gonna, year or the book? Both. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but 
I'm going to shout out two other things I associated Dick Van Dyke with as a very tiny child. One was an animated movie from 1975 called Tubby the Tuba, starring Dick Van Dyke as a tuba who leaves the orchestra to find his own song. First you take an oom, then you take a pa. You put the boat together, you get oom, pa, pa. It is not streaming anywhere, legally or otherwise, so everybody must have hated it, but... I remember watching it a lot. Um, the other thing is a series of fire prevention PSAs from the 80s. Oh, snap. I just saw one of those today. <laughs> yeah, morbidly called Learn Not to Burn. <laughs> and the one I remember is him standing in a doorway. And the message was basically, if you're trying to escape a fire and the door feels hot, don't open it. But he's the door. And some kid... <laughs> Pushes past him and he makes the sound that I still make whenever my children will have to walk past me. (laughs) And then this show and the Christmas special was the one episode that my parents had taped, but it was in the middle of the Christmas tape. So as a kid, I wanted to just fast forward through it. And it's like, this is so long, (laughs) but I've grown to appreciate it as an adult. I don't even remember what else was on that tape. It was probably more Christmas stuff. I can't remember at this point, but here's a good point to jump into a very brief edition of the history, history of the Basically. Created by Carl Reiner and airing on CBS from 1961 to 1966, the Dick Van Dyke Show ran for five seasons and 158 episodes. Uh, This Christmas episode is almost in the very middle. It's episode number 75, halfway through the third season, airing December 18th, 1963, which means my mother was the same age then as my 11-year-old daughter now. Yikes. Hey, Nan. Uh, in, In 2020, New York Magazine's Vulture ranked every episode of the show, and the Alan Brady Show Presents came in at a respectable number 22. Let me guess, the Walnut Alien one was number one? I think that was two. No, the number one one was uh, what the Coast to Coast Big Mouth, it's called. It's the one where Laura accidentally tells the world in the game show that Alan Brady's bald. Oh, that is a good good one. Yeah. Uh, He's so vain that he thought the Christmas show was about him and put his own name in the title. (laughs) But this is the first time in the whole series we actually see Carl Reiner's face, sort of. Oh, this is the first. Oh, because he was kind of like a uh, not Will uh, Wilson from Home Improvement. Yeah. <laughs> so you would see like part of his face, like they'd smash a pie in his face or you'd see him from behind, like uh, like George Steinbrenner on Seinfeld. Is yes. I, yeah, that's what it's most like uh, here. He's behind a Santa Claus beard. Uh, and as the show opens, accompanied by what I'm sure is a group of very nice ladies dressed as attractive elves. <laughs> reindeer. Yeah. Oh, they're reindeer. Right. <laughs> They're dressed like elves. He calls them reindeer. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, But before this episode, it was a bit of a running gag that whenever you never saw Alan Brady's face, you'd hear him yelling off screen or see the back of his head or his face covered in pie cream. It's the golden age of comedy. (laughs) I have a couple fun facts about the Dick Van Dyke show. Yes, sure. Not unlike Star Trek, it was canceled and brought back by the fans. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Like between the first and second season, it was supposed to be canceled, but like it was such a strong reaction that people uh, that they kept it on. Oh, good. We never would have gotten here if fans hadn't outcried. No, keep this on. And speaking of the fans, apparently 
Laura Petrie's capri pants were too hot for television at the time. Oh, because women were supposed to be doing their doing everyday chores in like a full dress and pearls. Uh, so when sponsors objected, they made her do that. And then fans again wrote in and boom, back in the pants. Put her in the pants. <laughs> Put her in the pants, Charlie. <laughs> I don't know who Charlie is. <laughs> All good. Bit of trivia I found courtesy of MeTV. The music playing at the top of the show is a lot of living to do from another Dick Van Dyke vehicle. Bye bye, Birdie. And now live from New York, the Alan Brady Show. That's the song that plays like at the beginning of this episode as Alan Brady comes in. Not the theme song. I was like, wait, what? That doesn't. No, no. <laughs> like they're coming out and the, and the reindeer ladies and Alan Brady as Santa comes out. They're playing a lot of living to do from Bye Bye Birdie. A Christmas classic. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and on that note, Alan Brady calls out to the stage his head writer, Rob Petrie, and watching Dick Van Dyke shyly fumble onto a stage and stutter through this opening message and act like he belongs anywhere else but there <laughs> is fascinating. Ladies, ladies. Oh. He's so good. He like his awkwardness like instead of playing as awkward to watch it's just I mean it's spellbinding to watch like how awkward he is. He has this knack of looking like he's clumsy like yes. He's amazing at dancing like he's bad at dancing. <laughs> Even in his 90s, did you see him? He came back and did Step in Time a couple of years ago. Yes, and he was in the the new the Mary Poppins sequel. Yes, Mary, yeah, he was right at the end there. Yeah, that was actually him dancing on the desk. Yep. Dude is twice my age and three times better shape. Yep. <laughs> so Rob sends us to commercial and we come back so he can explain the format of their holiday show with a flashback to a week ago when they thought they were done writing it. And first, let's introduce Rob's writing partners. We have Buddy Sorrell, played by Maury Amsterdam. Says somebody's kicking at the door. Either that or the termites are taking dancing lessons. Who's <laughs> been in a couple specials I've already covered. He was in Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol for a hot second as one of the businessmen in Scrooge's would-be future. And he was in Rudolph's Shiny New Year as the retired year 1 million BC who sings It's Rain and Sunshine. <laughs> And I feel like in both of those episodes, or at least one of them, I mentioned I couldn't wait to talk about Buddy Sorrell, who, if you know anything about Carl Reiner, you can tell in a heartbeat, Buddy Sorrell is based on Mel Brooks. <laughs> that explains all his... I'd never even thought about that, but yeah, it 100% clicks into place when you say that. <laughs> it's When I read that, I was just, oh, that, yep, yep, that's correct. And rounding out the writing trio is Sally Rogers, played by the fantastic Rosemary. What does Alan want us to do? Well, anything you want. Oh, good. Then during the commercials, I'll advertise for a fella. <laughs> uh, sadly, I don't really know her outside this show, but this show is enough. My mom sat next to her at a D23 event. Really? Uh, well, she sat in front of her. She didn't sat next to her. Or, you know, like, she was right, you know, they were front back to each other. Yeah. Still, they, right, you know, one seat away. The vicinity. Less than six degrees of Kevin Bacon. There you go. <laughs> uh, this I didn't know. Rosemary started as a child singer in the 1920s, which made me realize how I had to say the 1920s because we're back in the 20s. Uh, but before her death in 2017, she was the last surviving entertainer to chart a hit before World War II. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and one more bit of fun Rosemary trivia. She was the uncredited voice of Norma Bates in the 1998 remake of Psycho. Wow. I was just listening to a recent episode of yours. I'm not, I'm not sure when this will drop, but the <laughs> yeah, the Flintstones one. There was somebody who was the uncredited voice of uh, Mrs. Bates for, for the first three psychos from the original. Yeah. And I said, wait, really? That's a weird one. Uh, and I forget who it is. So the voice of Mrs. Claus here is Virginia Gregg. Uh, so the writing team is in their office when there's a knock at the door and in walks a very tall pile of wrapped presents behind which is Rob's wife, Laura. It's Mary Tyler Moore. Just what I always wanted, a beautiful wife. I'm not so sure you're going to want me when the bills come in. Uh-huh. Who's 26 years old in this episode. Just makes me think of all the things I hadn't accomplished when I was 26 <laughs> and still haven't accomplished now. <laughs> she was 24 when first cast as Laura Petri. If you're keeping score at home, that's 11 years younger than Dick Van Dyke. I've seen worse, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> No, Mary Tyler Moore was fantastic in everything I remember seeing her in. Yeah, I agree. So when she walks with a tall stack of wrapped purchases, but <laughs> Rob's not as phased as she expected, saying Alan's going to love their Christmas show script so much, it'll be good for a bonus. But then in walks the show's producer, Mel Cooley, and it's Richard Deacon. Rob, I just wanted to... Oh, all right, let's have it. Welcome, Mel, and season's greeting. <laughs> That's all. No insult. Never on the holidays. There's another guy I've talked before. He worked with Jack Benny and he's on that Christmas episode. And he's got the same dry humor here, especially when he's at odds with Buddy and he even stops speaking and just waits for Buddy's customary insult. Oh, those were those were my favorites. Not unlike the two old Muppets, just have Buddy <laughs> roasting Mel. Yeah. Yep. Like every episode, I'm like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> it's the good stuff. Yeah. But not today, because it's the holidays. Uh, but Mel is here to tell Rob and the team two things. First, that Alan loved the script. And second, that they're not using it. And there goes Buddy's holiday insult fast. <laughs> so Mel says the script apparently lacked heart. So for this Christmas show, they're going to show everyone the true heart of the show. The staff behind the scenes and their families. And... That sounds sweet, but a TV show's one of very few jobs where the boss can say, make all our staff's families work seasonally, and they wouldn't hate it. I mean, is this not similar to the plot of Scrooge? Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> I didn't put that in perspective, but that, yes. And also, I don't know when, I, I want to get to this at some point, but can you imagine tuning in, like, it only this only works. Well, you know, I'll let you finish this part of the description, actually, before I say it. <laughs> yeah, well, that essentially brings us back up to the present, actually. And we're about to find out what the show staff and their families have come up with. But first, when we dissolve back to the present, we're looking at Alan as Santa, surrounded by a group of children who don't look excited at all to be sitting with Santa. Because <laughs> well, I bet they know it's Alan Brady. Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, this ain't the real guy. Yeah, well, they're probably all staff kids because I think it's Rob's son, Richie, sitting on his lap. Oh, I, I didn't even notice that. But what were you going to say? So can you imagine tuning into your favorite show? Uh, let's say, I don't know, you're a big fan of uh, the Colbert, or the what is it, the late show with Stephen Colbert. Sure. And like, hey, for our Christmas episode this week, 
uh, our writers and one of the writer's wife and their kid are going to, and also the producer are going to perform the show. I'm going to sit off to the side and do nothing. <laughs> Basically. Like, uh, like okay. Like that, the Rob Petrie fumbling and bumbling through the intro is funny for us because we know him. But like, if you if you were watching the lead, right, you're like, what am I? Why click? Basically, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how anybody kept this on after that commercial, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. there was no like, oh well, he really hooked me. I got to see what happens after these yeah. words from Kellogg's. <laughs> And here, Alan shouts to Rob, who's now off stage, and there's a completely different set from when we saw him last. So while we were watching the flashback, what was happening on TV? Was Rob telling this story to the camera? I guess maybe and they were following him and they brought the lights down and he stepped up on him and then the stage managers or whatever changed the background. I hope so. I don't think they <laughs> did. They reenact their conversation in their office and film it ahead of time and show that. I mean, that would have at least been more visually interesting. Yeah, but it seems like a stretch in 1963. <laughs> yes. But out walks Buddy, Laura, Sally, and Mel in choir gowns, standing together in front of the set of music stands, followed by Rob in a tuxedo, which he was not wearing before. So that's another what was happening while we were watching that. Uh, Art of the quick change. Uh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> not looking good here for the fourth wall of the Alan Brady Show studio. <laughs> But now a much more confident Rob gives a brief introduction to whatever he's about to do, saying, Ladies and gentlemen, many great men have been immortalized in song. Davy Crockett in his cap. <laughs> Casey in his bat. John Brown in his body. I had to look up that one. I was not familiar with that song, John Brown's Body. Are you? Uh, no, no, it goes. John Brown's body lies a moldering in his grave. And oh, it, goodness, it's <laughs> it is the precursor to the battle hymn of the Republic. The glory, glory, hallelujah song took the tune from this John Brown's body song and made it not about John Brown's body moldering in his grave. All right. So it's an improvement. <laughs> See, it's an educational show. Uh, but now <laughs> it is time to immortalize another great man in song. And we have come to the Alan Brady chorus. And this is an interesting song. Alan Brady, 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 Alan Brady. I mean, it's it's. It's weird until it gets to the the joke of the song. Yeah, it's it. <laughs> my favorite's the beginning when Rob takes out a pitch pipe and he blows into it the wrong way, and then he appears to take a bite out of it. And yeah, I don't know what that was like. And then he <laughs> swallows it so that he can just make the pitch. I'm not saying it looks <laughs> like a cookie, but it doesn't not look like a cookie. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like a no. cookie. No, <laughs> no. Uh, we go through the right. We go through the first verse of just Alan Brady over and over again. And Rob has to pause and keep his emotions in check. <laughs> or perhaps it's made of him big sick. It's hard to tell. Uh, but at the end of verse two, Buddy can't help himself when we get Buddy Sorrell. And <laughs> that gave me a genuine belly laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then bemused conductor Rob just marches over and points at him to get off stage. 
followed by a shorter version of that joke that ends with Sally Rogers. There's no verse four. Laura just hastily sings her own name and hurries off the stage. <laughs> Laura Patrick! <laughs> That's the height of the joke for me. Oh, really? Mostly Laura, but also Rob just grimacing cross-eyed at the camera as he gets more frustrated. <laughs> oh, the, his faces are so good. The, through the whole thing, first he's like overcome with emotion, then he's feeling <laughs> a little sick, and now he's just getting more and more frustrated that his <laughs> choir is quitting on him. And the whole time we keep cutting back to Alan as Santa with the kids, and he's tapping them on the shoulder and pointing like, are you seeing this? This is great. Can you believe this? <laughs> As if the kids are watching something out like, but what else is the, what else is here, Santa? <laughs> uh, but Richie aside, the kids with Santa were, in fact, children of the Dick Van Dyke show crew. And the more I'm reading about this episode, uh, the more I think they just threw an early Christmas party, recorded it and called it an episode. <laughs> Which is a great way to, like, get to that whatever number, 20 or 22 episodes you need for a season. So good work. <laughs> more shows should actually do that. Yeah. And Mel finally ends the joke, does the same to finish off the segment as a blubbering Rob faces the camera defeated, gets out Robert Petrie and storms off, <laughs> snapping his baton in half. It's a goofy bit, but uh, but I liked it. I, I mean, the show worked. I mean, that's this joke worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't dislike it at all. It, it, it was a great way to start. I like the next segment better, though. We come back from break. We see Sally at her desk writing a letter to Santa that quickly turns into her singing the song Santa Send a Fella. Santa send a fella into my life. Someone who is shopping around for a wife. I would like to order something, Cary Granty. But I'd even settle for a James Duranty. I think this song is great. How did it not become more popular? I mean, that's a good question. Was this original to the show it or was. was this from something else? No, it's original to the show. It was written uh, by the show's co-producers, uh, Sam Denoff and Bill Persky. I'm, yeah, I'm surprised this isn't covered more. No, there are a couple I found on YouTube, but nobody mainstream. Uh, it's not better than Santa Baby, but it's got the same sense of humor. Yeah. I like the line, uh, as long as he's still breathing, he passes the test. <laughs> and give me an atom on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's that's a that's a solid that's a solid wordplay right oh, yeah. there. <laughs> and of course, after the song, the showgirl elves from the top of the show wheel in a very large package for Sally, complete with a comically large pair of scissors, which they've used in the show before. Oh, really? So back in the show's first season, there's an episode where Rob has a nightmare that he's a marionette-style puppet being controlled by Laura. Oh, right. And then Mel comes in with the same pair of giant scissors and snips Rob's strings off. Uh, that episode was called Washington versus the Bunny. And I guess someone decided we'd better save these giant scissors in case we need them again, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, that person's like, yeah, saving scissors like a fuck. <laughs> Uh, and inside Sally's Christmas package is indeed a fella, but to her disappointment, it's Buddy. Buddy's got a cello. I asked Santa to send me something with a shape like this. Look what I got. <laughs> Which, fine, it's 1963. Uh, but Alan Brady's doing the thing again where he's trying to laugh with the kids. He gives this little girl next to him a little nudge-nudge with his elbow. 
I mean, I guess from the again, from the perspective of the audience, at least show me this guy whose name is on the show I came to watch every so often. This is the only bone they're going to throw him. Look, he's he's watching it and he's elbowing the kids. Yeah, you like that joke, little girl? <laughs> cool it, Reiner. Uh, well, Buddy prepares to play something for us on his cello, but he's interrupted by Sally on a piano. The back of which is painted like a brick wall for some reason. I, is it supposed to be a chimney and they forgot the fireplace part? Uh, she's going to play that in a comedy club later. Oh, OK. <laughs> she just looked like Charlie Brown poking her head up over the brick wall. <laughs> I can't stand it, Linus. Maybe it looked nicer in color, but it was weird. But Sally wants to accompany Buddy insisting she'll be so quiet he won't even hear she's there, which is the opposite of what happens. <laughs> to no one's surprise. No. <laughs> and she gets <laughs> so carried away, it makes Buddy tossing his shoe at her to get her to stop. And in an attempt to perform a solo, Buddy asks Sally if there are any songs she doesn't know. And the only song she doesn't know happens to be Jingle Bells. You don't know Jingle Bells? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I like this Jingle Bells joke better than Lucy's in a Charlie Brown Christmas where she doesn't recognize Jingle Bells until Schroeder like taps it out one yeah, note at a time. Bare bones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> sure glad there's no fire in here or out here. I worry about fires this time of year. What with all these ribbon and wrapping paper and boxes around. Don't ever throw any of this stuff on the fireplace. Throw it away. And your tree. Be sure and check the lights and keep it watered, too, because a dried-out tree can go up in flames quicker than you can say, ho, ho, ho. So, have a happy holiday. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, but then we hard cut from those two shouting at each other to Rob and Laura, both dressed as a pair of bell-ringing Santas for our next sketch. And first off, I really like the backdrop of this scene. It's this large painted backdrop of a busy city corner, and it's just, it made it feel like Christmas time in the city. I, uh, for the listening audience, I just nodded, which is super helpful on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also both Rob and Laura are wearing these very bulky Santa coats. They, they kind of <laughs> look like a couple of bells. Which works out in the, in the gif you posted. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the gif I posted when I said, we're recording tonight. They look like they're ringing bells as they're dancing. Uh, but before that, Laura's noticeably silent, and Rob walks over and says, Hey, you know something? I think I know what your trouble is. You're not ho-hoing enough. <laughs> I don't believe I've seen you do one ho all day. Come on, let me see you give up with a ho-ho-ho. Ho-ho-ho. <laughs> oh, the joke is he didn't realize Santa's a lady. <laughs> But apparently he sort of did because apparently he was <laughs> he says something like that. Santa's been driving me crazy. Yeah, I never smelled such a sweet Santa Claus. I was like, oh, I, I think they were skirting the edges of some major issues being brought up. Yeah, well, and that's a choice pickup line. You smell sweet. Did that work in 1963 to anyone? <laughs> that's not important. What What is important is Dick Van Dyke and his long white Santa beard 
is a nice little preview of what's to come in a couple of years as Mr. Dawes Sr. and Mary Poppins. <laughs> I realized it as I was pausing to type this note about the sweet smelling comment, and he's looking at the camera and laughing, and it's Mr. Dawes Sr. about to float up to the ceiling. Oh, right. And then this turns into Rob Santa revealing himself to be a young, self-proclaimed wealthy playboy, and he tries to impress the lady Santa in a song called I Have Everything But You. I got a summer place in Newport. That's right. When the snow flies, I'm in Nice. This is nice. I could name a couple of Broadway shows in which I have a piece. My fair lady? I've got yards and yards of greenbacks. And the diamond miner, too. Why are you telling me all this? It seems that I have everything but you. Oh, money isn't everything. I, I gotta say, for the, you know, uh, like that other gift, like, they had me in the first half. I was like, really? What are they, where are they going with this? Like, I don't, I don't think he really is rich, or if he is, what a goofy, what a goofy thing. Just be like, I'm rich, and here's my flex, Merry Christmas. And then <laughs> it turns out he's, in fact, not rich, and that is the, the turn of the song. Uh, that he has in fact been lying about all the things he has and, and all the skill, even the skills he, d- he has, that he has none of these things. And uh, I, I, that, <laughs> that made it incredibly more satisfying to me. Although slightly more, un- even if it could be possible, more unrealistic that uh, the lady Santa is like, I'm all in for this. Yeah. <laughs> that pl- I really don't like songs that try to get cute with one person interrupting during the song, like Laura's doing here. Oh, maybe it's because I heard too many Disney songs like that, where it's usually like Mickey or Minnie Mouse saying like, you can say that again. Stop it. (laughs) Trying to sing a song. (laughs) There's a Key and Peele sketch like that. (laughs) Oh, is there? Yes. I don't. I can't remember. I. I, It's like uh, this guy, a key. Key gets knocked on the head and he wakes up in like uh, like Negro town. And Peel is singing about it, and he keeps interjecting with like, wow, it's just like you said. Yeah, can I finish my song? And then he'll sing a little more, and then he'll do the same musical thing. Like, so everything is different. Yes, it is. Could you please stop talking? (laughs) Even the versions with Rudolph, like a light bulb, I just find grating for some reason. But Oh, I I was the dude who always did that in our (laughs) high school quartets when they would rent us out like to, to make money for the choir department and we'd sing it like grocery and the grocery stores. Well, maybe, but definitely department stores okay. and whatnot. And like when we'd sing Rudolph, I was always the one like, like a light bulb. <laughs> that one like sour to me as a kid, but I was all about Jingle Bell's Batman smells. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, that's just, that's just a classic. Absolutely. <laughs> but the highlight of this song is the two of them dancing with the big Santa bellies. It's It's great visually. They really do look like a pair of ringing bells and they sort of take it in turn waddling and then hiking up their jackets and dancing yes. a bit more contemporarily. It's cute. Which is the only thing that really makes this song Christmassy at all. Yeah, the fact that they're wearing <laughs> Santa suits. Other than that, it's yeah. just a song. <laughs> I was like, oh yes, this Christmas classic. <laughs> and then they waddle off set to applause and next we fade into a an actual Christmas song, a stained glass window depicting to the nativity and boy, do black and white cameras do this no favors. <laughs> like, I wonder if like people at the time were like, ooh, whereas I'm like, Ugh, that's just a gray blob of me. Yeah, I'm sure it was a brilliant window, but the lighting is just so dim on it. Uh, but superimposed over this nativity scene is young Richie singing the little drummer boy. Come, they told 
not gonna lie, I watched this the whole way through the first time I watched this. Uh, but the second time I was like, let me ride that 30 second skip. <laughs> there's, there's a version of this on YouTube that they just cut this out. And but it's a hard cut. It was like somebody, um, it looked like somebody paused their recording and then resumed it when they knew it was done. And it's a really hard cut because you kind of see the end of this. And I'm clapping. And nary a tear was shed. No, this, <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I have no offense to that little kid. He's doing a fine little job, but like, I just didn't like, it's not an amazing rendition of that song. No, I mean, it's fine for a kid, but it's not, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, I need to add this to my, my playlist. Yeah, he does a fine job. And in a show known for comedy, there's nothing funny about it. So no, it's just it's Larry Matthews. He's eight years old in this episode and he does a fine job. He sings okay, But this is the only part of the special I could remember for a long time because it's in the middle of a tape with a bunch of other Christmas specials. And as a kid, I didn't want to watch it. I wanted to skip to whatever was after it. And as I'm trying to fast through it, this scene always seemed to be the longest to me. Is it over? No, he's still singing Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> it's only a two-minute song, and but when I'm eight years old and super impatient, it felt like an eternity. Even when I was riding that 30-second skip, I'm like, are we, come on. We done. We done. <laughs> we done. Uh, Larry Matthews did not continue af- acting after this show. He did appear briefly as grown-up Richie in the 2004 reunion special, The Dick Van Dyke Show Revisited. Oh which I had not seen before researching this, but it's really sweet. I haven't seen it at all. Uh, it's out there on YouTube. Not hard to find. Um, I don't really go nuts about TV show reunions like that, especially now that they're doing them for shows that haven't been off the air for even 10 years. <laughs> Give him a little more room to breathe. Did you see there was a comic relief? I want to say it was five. Uh, the, the benefit for homelessness, right. co- uh, the standup comics, mm. uh, hosted by Billy Crystal Robin, Whoopi Goldberg. I want to say it was five where they went to it. They brought back, they brought out, um, Carl Reiner, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, Buddy Amsterdam and M- Rosemary. I think that, that the, the, whoever played Richie wasn't there. And okay. I don't know if he had already passed by then. No, he's, or if he's even passed now. No, he and Dick Van Dyke are the last surviving members of the main cast. <sighs> I hope Dick Van Dyke never dies. No. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a like the the introduction for them coming on stage was one of the few times where Billy Robin and Whoopi were on stage at the same time. And so they were just riffing on each other. And so this simple intro that was supposed to be like, hey, here's the cast of the Dick Van Dyke show took five minutes Good. of them riffing and changing topics and like making jokes and shouting out to the audience and making each other uncomfortable. Like it went on forever. Yeah. And then when they came out, it was uh uh, yeah, like it was like they, they didn't acknowledge any of the craziness that had just happened. No, it's just we're here. That does <laughs> but sound familiar, but I haven't seen any of those in a very long time. And like I, when Robin passed, I went to find that because it's one of my favorite bits of Robin Williams. And I, it's nowhere on, like I have it on VHS, but I couldn't oh. I haven't been able to digitize it and upload it yet. Yeah. And so it's been a while and I'm just lazy. OK, well. Whatever you get. Regardless, <laughs> it was a cool reunion. That's all I'm saying. There we go. Uh, well, in our final act, we find Sally marching back on stage dressed as a toy soldier to begin a rendition of a song called I Am a Fine Musician. I am a fine musician. I practice every day. And people come from miles around just to hear me play. My trumpet, my trumpet, they love to hear my trumpet. Dick Van Dyke is not a tuba in this one. He's a trombone. 
but this seems to be the best remembered part of the episode from what I've gathered on the internet. Yeah, and I didn't realize until, you know, rewatching and like doing a slightly deeper dive into this episode than I've done previously that this song was a reuse from season one. Yes. So in an episode from earlier that year, like it was the tail end of season one. Or maybe season or two. Se- I can't remember. Yeah, it was season two. Yeah, I don't know. It, I think it was. Ma- yeah. yeah. March of 1963. It was an episode called the Sam Pomerantz Scandals. Uh, they have to replace an incapacitated entertainer at a resort owned by a friend of Rob's from the army. And they performed this song in that. So this is a Christmas themed encore. This is another thing, especially because this seems to be the most remembered part of the special. I don't know why this hasn't become like a a Christmas thing that people do. Hey, yeah. Like dress up as toy soldiers and do this bit. They really should. I, I, from what I understand, it's an old song. It's like it's not like, like I'm pretty sure it's in the public domain is what I'm trying to oh, get. Oh, yes. It, uh, so we're about to do six degrees of Christmas here. So strap in. Um, so this this is buckles mostly from the official Dick Van Dyke show book. Uh, which posted a history of this song on Facebook a couple of years back. It was very helpful, and then I filled in the rest using Wikipedia. So the song is a translation from an old German folk song, Ich bin ein Musikant. Don't say Musikant. If you believe in yourself, you Musikant. <laughs> ich bin ein Musikant. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke discovered it on a novelty record from 1951 performed by the quartet of Dinah Shore, Betty Hutton, Tony Martin, and Phil Harris, who, if you don't know by name, Phil Harris is best known to me as the voice of Disney bears Baloo and Little John. So imagine that singing this. I am a fine musician and I get lots of pay because people throw me pennies every time I play. (laughs) That arrangement is credited to songwriters Tom Glazer and Charles Randolph Green. Glazer also performed the children's songs On Top of Spaghetti and Why Does the Sunshine. Charles Randolph Green, here it comes, arranged the Nat King Cole recording of the Christmas song. Holy moly. So this song is a very distant, very German cousin to that song. <laughs> and the audience loves it. I mean, why wouldn't you? The, the four Vine musicians come back out after a bow, and then out comes Santa Allen with the kids in a sleigh pulled on by our uh, reindeer showgirls and Mel, who's back in a boring suit. <laughs> but and then here's the part everyone talks about in this episode to close out the show. <laughs> they sing the Dick Van Dyke show theme song. is fine until you stop to think about it. The cast and crew of the Alan Brady show is singing the theme song to the Dick Van Dyke show. Do we know that that's not also the theme in universe? <laughs> I watched too much Marvel. <laughs> in the reality of the, the Alan Brady show, is that not also the Alan Brady show theme? Perhaps. Uh, perhaps. That's the only way this makes sense at all. Otherwise, I don't know what's happening. I thought uh, they've taken the fourth wall and they've <laughs> they've trounced it. Obliterated it. <laughs> no lyrics or anything, just they do the da na 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 and they even do the whoop-pong. Yep. <laughs> you know Buddy Sorrell wrote lyrics for that, right? No, I didn't. Oh, my goodness. I am so glad I get to share a thing. Oh, share uh, this thing. 
So when uh, so Dick Van Dyke now he has he uh, he does uh, he does a like a barbershop quartet. I don't think that's quite it. But he does a, a, a singing quartet okay. with, that's called the Fantastics with like <laughs> three younger guys. Uh, and they have an album uh, that I that I own. And that's where I, that's where I got my love of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, a song I love for a movie I cannot stand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I probably because I didn't watch it as a kid, like there's no nostalgia for it. But then I tried to show it to my kids and like everybody was like, what are we doing? How much longer is this? We could be watching Bitten on to Broomsticks, which is better. I still haven't seen that. That's It's better. <laughs> I, I, we were talking about watching it the other night. You know, everybody gets to pick a movie. And uh, I was going to pick that one, but then I ended up picking uh, some Spider-Man 2. Oh, well, Spider-Man 2 is better than both of them. So you made the right choice. Well, because I had, well, we got to build up for when uh, No Way Home comes out. I'm yeah, like, we need guys, to do that. You, there's knowledge you need to get yep. in your heads. And apparently I'm slacking. So let's get it in there. <laughs> Anyway, seven tangents later, let me go back to what I was saying. <laughs> uh, so they they do like they do a bunch of Disney songs on this album, the Fantastics, that is. Uh, the it's just some like old standards type things, but one of them, uh, like the three guys are doing like, and one of them is making a noise, so it sounds like old time television while it's playing. Oh, wow! And then uh, Dick Van Dyke comes on, and he goes like, "Hey, I know that song." Did you know my friend Buddy Sorrell wrote lyrics to it? And it goes like this. So you think that you got trouble. Well, trouble's a bubble. So tell Mr. Trouble to get lost. Get lost. Why not hold your head up high and stop crying. Start trying. And don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. When you find the joy of living is loving and giving. You'll be there when the winning dice are tossed or tossed. <laughs> a smile is just a frown that's turned upside down. So smile and that frown will defrost, will defrost. And don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. Doo-doo. Yeah. Wow. Uh, first off, well done. I was like, I hope I remember it. I hate to run out of lyrics midway through it and look like an idiot. <laughs> you memorized that? I mean, just because I love it. Wow. <laughs> Nailed it. Well done. <laughs> I didn't think I would get a chance to sing that today. I'm so happy. <laughs> but yeah, thinking about uh, the, the Alan Brady cast singing the Dick Van Dyke Show theme song. You think <laughs> the multiverse is just getting underway now. Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> Because I'm thinking in the context of the show, what song is this? Well, clearly they are variants. That, yeah. Because I feel like this show stole a lot from WandaVision, especially that first episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Have, did you know that Dick Van Dyke, like they, Kevin Feige and one of the other producers of WandaVision met with Dick Van Dyke at Disneyland's Club 33 to talk about you know, how they would make WandaVision and like to get his advice on like, you know, he get his expertise on, you know, making a, a show back in that day and specifically that show. I did not know that, but now, man, to be a fly on the wall, that like, that's so awesome. That's what I assume celebrities would do all the time anyway. Like you're famous. I'm famous. Let's go to Disney's Club 33 and talk about things. Right. That's the only place any group of famous people should ever meet. <laughs> Uh, well, Tim, any final thoughts on this episode before our brains explode? <laughs> uh, just that I uh, and I'm so glad that you asked me to be on this episode so that I could rewatch it and rediscover it, because it's one of those things I enjoy every time I see it, but I don't think about it enough. And so it was nice. It was it was good to re just just get all that joy again. Although I will say I the first time I made the mistake of like playing it while I was doing something else. I'm like, I just want to get it back in my head. And then I'm like, no, you got to watch it. Like you have to pay attention oh, yeah. to Dick Van Dyke face because you're missing 30, 40, 50 percent of the comedy. If you're not watching that, you need to pay clear attention throughout the whole thing. Uh, but it's a joy through the whole thing. 
Indeed. Um, and this episode's not too hard to find if you look. It's season three, episode 13. Uh, and I'm very glad to know it's a Christmas classic outside my own parents' household. So thank you for talking to me about it, Tim. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has been. Thank you. And if people want to send you a wisecracking cellist in a very large box, where can they find you on the Internet? Well, you can find me at can't wait for Christmas dot com. What was that? <laughs> can't wait for Christmas pod dot com or just search for can't wait for Christmas wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Christmas pod. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at don't remember. I want to say <laughs> can't wait for Christmas pod. I could be wrong. I'll put those links in the show notes. <laughs> that will be way more helpful yes. than me half remembering my own social medias. <laughs> I just put them all in there and I tell people, uh, well, they're at, they're at adventcalendar.house or in your podcast machine. So go look from there. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Fall West Mike and Advent Cal House. Tim, thanks again. It was great to talk with you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we will be back with more in a couple of days. Until then, for Tim Babb, from behind a piano poorly disguised as a brick wall. This is Mike Westfall reminding you to mind the icy patch and mind the ottoman. Just watch your step in general. Good night. Oh, Rob. <laughs> and now these messages. do you like about Christmas? The music, the movies, the traditions, the food, the history, all of the above? Then the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is for you. Tune in every month to hear a marginally successful stand-up comedian dig into topics like Charlie Brown Christmas, Bing Crosby, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, Jingle Bells, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, The Christmas Truce of World War One, Die Hard, Bethlehem, Gift of the Magi, Haunted Mansion Holiday, Andy Williams, Christmas Lights, Nativity Scenes, Nat King Cole Before Christmas, Toys R Us, Silent Night, How the Grinch, Christmas, Christmas. Christmas. Miracle on Mission Christmas, Christmas. 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 It's going to take way too long to cover all the stuff we've talked about. Just join us at Can't Wait for Christmas Pod on the 25th of every month for the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast, where our motto is keep laughing all the way. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. So what are you doing? You like having a Christmas party or something? Uh, no, we're getting ready for our Hanukkah party. Oh, wow, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. So like, what do you do for Hanukkah? That's Hanukkah, dear. Huh, huh.